Hi everyone, this is Mallory. You're listening to Cinema 5000. I'm here to talk to you about the last batch of movies I have seen before we technically do the season finale of the podcast. I am currently at 4,998 films, which just means the next episode is just a couple movies because that's it. We did it. <laughs> we'll be getting to 5,000 unless, you know, some awful thing happens. But um, I will tell you, I actually sprained my knee the night before Thanksgiving. So I was hoping to go see some new movies at the theater this weekend. And sadly, that just not has not happened because of my injury. I'm doing better today. Still a little sore, but I can thankfully walk on both of my feet without much issue, without much pain, and I'm hoping, hoping to get to the theater soon again, but um, the 5,000th movie is just around the corner, and you will hear that in the next episode, but before that, got some movies to tell you that I have seen. These are all movies that I saw <laughs> after Dogman, which was like just just last week, and uh, some of them I watched over the Thanksgiving holiday with some family. So the first one, a film I definitely did not watch with my family. It's the 1981 film directed by Bob Brooks called Tattoo. I actually picked out this movie to watch because I was watching a Siskel and Ebert episode about like underseen films that people might have missed from the uh, 1980. Early 1980s, 1981 specifically, older episodes. I watched this Cleaver all the time on YouTube, and um, I came across this film. I had never heard of it before, but it stars Bruce Dern and Maude Adams, and the tagline is Every Great Love Leaves Its Mark. Carl Kinski, an unbalanced tattoo artist, becomes obsessed with Maddie, a model he meets when he is hired to body paint several women for a photo shoot, making the women look like they have large tattoos. As Kinski grows more obsessed with Maddie, he becomes increasingly determined that Maddie should bear his, quote, mark, unquote, forever. This is a very bizarre movie, but not as bizarre as I think it maybe should have been. For 1981, um, the idea of a man kidnapping a woman and then tattooing her probably was very extreme and out there for some audiences, and as the due to the fact that I had never heard of this movie before. It makes sense that it was probably not a big hit. Uh, but this movie has Bruce Dern acting out at times and being very odd and obscure in his performance. He's playing a man who sees beauty in the work of tattoos and how he learned the craft. And then when it comes to this woman who is this model, Maude Adams's character, Maddie, uh, he's obsessed with her body and obsessed in a way where he will tattoo her after she is captured by and kidnapped by him against her will in the middle of the night. And then she wakes up and she's horrified by the tattoo markings on her skin. Uh, I am spoiling this as you can now tell, but I, I'm spoiling because I just am going to assume that nobody's going to really want to watch this movie. It's, it's really weird. It's, it's, um, it reminded me of the, uh, I want to say late 80s and early 90s movie, uh, Boxing Helena, where a woman is taken against her will and is, you know, captured and trapped by this man who was doing things to her based on his needs and nothing to do with her well-being. And it's a little creepy, sort of like that movie. But I also think it maybe could have been a little bit dim 
more dynamic in the script and its assertions about these characters and how they interact and also his his obsession with the tattoo art because it doesn't really feel very fulfilled as far as its quest to discuss, you know, why he wants to tattoo her. Um, and unfortunately, she has to succumb to her captor and do his bidding. It's it's not a great film. It was interesting. It was a little different, uh, offbeat for sure. But uh, sadly for me, I just don't think it was that great. I gave it two stars on Letterboxd. Uh, I actually found it in full on YouTube. It's not that long. It's 103 minutes. And you can watch the whole thing there. Just like search Tattoo Movie 1981 Brewster and you should be able to find it. Uh, because I couldn't find it anywhere on online otherwise for like rental or for, you know, download somewhere. Um, but it looked like luckily someone had uploaded a copy that was a decent cut of the film. I got to assume it was a VHS cut, but it's, it's not bad. It just could have, it could have been more interesting. It could have been more interest, intriguing. It had a lot more to say about tattoos and this character and his issues, but it seemed kind of surfacey, unfortunately, but a uh, tattoo from 1981 directed by Bob Brooks. All right, moving on. Thanksgiving day. Well, having an injury means you sit around a lot. <laughs> uh, and I hung out with my family and I, uh, I watched some movies and, um, these were all my pickings more or less. <laughs> uh, to appease a family member, I ended up watching the the excuse me the 2012 film The Guilt Trip, directed by Anne Fletcher. Tagline is: Get ready for one mother of a road trip. An inventor and his mom hit the road together so he can sell his latest invention. If you have never heard of The Guilt Trip before, it stars Seth Rogen, and it stars Barbara Streisand, and they go on the road. While her son is going to make a trip to show off this product he invented, this eco-friendly cleaner, to different uh, places that might want to, you know, stock it, put it on the shelves, or sell it uh, on TV, like Home Shopping Network. Uh, I don't think this is a very good movie. Uh, Barbara Streisand is much too good for this material. <laughs> I I didn't mind the dynamic between her and Seth Rogen as mother and son, but there's, you know, studio Hollywood studio cliches everywhere when it comes to how the story is told and their issues. Like, of course, he's got to be single. Of course, you know, she just remembers his old girlfriends and this and that from high school. And of course, she's a woman who is living on her own. So she has some love history where there was the one that got away. None of it feels original and organic. It all feels very conventional Hollywood cliche kind of thing. So it's not really anything of note. Um, I give it two stars mainly because I didn't think the acting was so bad. It's mostly the script where things are just terrible and not so great. Yeah, so the guilt trip, not much to say about that. You, you could watch something worse with your family for sure. Uh, the next film I watched was something I had uh, I had kind of in the back of my mind been like, I got to watch that someday. I've always known about this movie, uh, just had never really given it a shot. But it's the 1997 film directed by Martha Coolidge called Out to Sea. It stars Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau as two two old guys <laughs> who uh, find themselves on a cruise ship as hired dance leaders. So basically, old men to dance with the old women on the cruise ship. <laughs> the tagline is, get ready to rumba. 
Carefree Charlie cons his widower brother-in-law Herb to an expense paid all expenses paid luxury cruise in search of rich lonely ladies. The catch is that they are required to dance to be dance hosts with a tyrannical cruise director who's played by uh, Brent Spiner and the luscious Liz and lovely Vivian. <laughs> Our heroes have a lot of misadventures before they finally return to port. This is capitalizing on the relationship history of Matthew and Lemon and how they've done movies together. And in the 90s, they did Grumpy Old Men and Grumpier Old Men. Uh, so Out to Sea uh, is the the continuation of that relationship. This is mostly harmless. 90s comedy humor, some things here and there you might find a little off color for present times. But um, you, yeah, like the guilt trip, you could do worse. But I found this to be a better movie. It was... There was a lot more laughs in this film, and I liked the cast. Uh, there were some recognizable faces in this as well with side parts, including Elaine Stritch, Rue McCallahan, and um, Diane Cannon in this movie. Uh, she's not hasn't been in a lot of movies that I've seen, but when she shows up, she's usually the, the whoa, 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 the you know the hot the hot lady. But uh, we're talking Diane Cannon as she is attractive to Walter Matthau. It's it's less of a, you know, May December thing. It's like, oh no, no, they are definitely in the same age bracket. <laughs> but uh it was fine. I uh I don't think watching these two guys on a um <laughs> I don't want to see a senior cruise, but that's basically what it is. Watching this movie will appeal to a lot of people. But uh we found it on stars and I was like, oh I haven't never seen this. But uh it's funny. It's it's very 90s in its humor and the way it plays these characters, but I didn't mind it. I gave it three stars. It it was successful in what it wanted to do, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, there were some movies that I rewatched while uh, Thanksgiving was happening. Um, you'll hear about that on the rewatch episode later this later this year, not this month because it's November, but at the end of December. Um, but I uh, I went to bed that night and I was. It was, I was not tired. So I stayed up and watched another movie. I watched the 2022 film directed by Ty West called Pearl. Uh, the tagline is the extraordinary origin story. Trapped in her family's isolated farm, Pearl must tend to her ailing father under bitter and overbearing watch of her devious, excuse me, devout mother, not devious, lusting for a glamorous life. She is seen in the movies, Pearl's ambitions, temptations, and repressions all collide in the stunning Technicolor-inspired origin story of X's iconic villain. Uh, I don't know about iconic villain, because frankly, uh, we don't necessarily see Pearl as Pearl in this movie, in the movie X, Taiwa's previous film. Uh, I was not a fan of this movie. I will say that Mia Goth is good. She's she's good on a lot of things she's in. And she's basically entirely why I rated this two and a half stars. I probably would have rated it one and a half if she wasn't in it, because I just found this movie flat, a little bit underdeveloped, the character not really well structured. And as far as her uh, wanting to be famous, uh, it's, it's really surfacey. There's not a lot of depth here. Could he use even more depth of the family because her mother just came, came on screen and just kind of yelled at her and, uh, Pearl has like a couple moments where she has like a, a dialogue where she will explain her feelings and her emotions, but so much of that could have been conveyed in the filmmaking. <laughs> this was just not really a, a really good movie. It, it uh, left me with no joy and as something that's supposed to be maybe a horror and slasher kind of thing. Pearl isn't like Michael Myers or Jason or anything like that, but she, you know, she goes on a streak and I just found this to be really unin uninspired and 
not very good. Uh, it's just really too bad because, you know, I want to watch a low budget kind of horror ish movie and enjoy it and be like, yeah, the filmmakers like really made an effort to do stuff and they didn't have a lot of money and they made it work. But I just got the feeling this was scrapped together and the history of it actually does show that it was written in like two weeks and it maybe just was made in the same amount of time or so. I just, I just wasn't impressed with this. I was disappointed and it's really too bad because, uh, there's, I could, I could watch this and pinpoint exactly where this could have been better and how maybe a different filmmaker would have done a different job on it, but it is what it is. I only rated it two and a half because I thought Mia Goth was good. And I just, I was kind of bored by this. It did, it didn't have, it didn't have things that I think the story demanded the way it was going. And there is going to be another movie in this series, Maxine, which I don't think I will watch because I just don't, I don't care for this series of films, this, the X movie and this pro movie. I just feel like they're just a little off. I, there's something about them and the way it talks about fame and sexuality and desire that feels really undercooked to me. But let's move on. The next movie I watched uh, was a movie I had on DVD from Netflix DVD for like a while. And I finally got the chance to just sit down and watch it. It is the 1998 film from Giuseppe Tornatore, uh, The Legend of 1900. Tagline is, an epic story of a man who could do anything except be ordinary. The story of a virtuoso piano player who lives his entire life aboard an ocean liner. Born and raised on the ship 1900, who's played by Tim Roth, learned about the outside world through interactions with passengers, never setting foot on land, even for the love of his life. Years later, the ship may be destroyed, and a former band member fears that 1900 may still be aboard, willing to go down with the ship. And that's exactly what happens. That's in your entire movie. Um, <laughs> uh, I liked Tim Roth in this movie. This movie is like going for a soaring epic story where this man is just stuck on this boat and stuck because he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't necessarily have any reliance on any kind of country or town or city or anything like that because this character of 1900 which i think is just the weirdest thing his full name is danny boodman td levin 1900 and <laughs> oh man oh the whimsy of it all how ridiculous um, <laughs> um that's the name of the character and he just goes by 1900 i just think it's I think it's really silly. Thankfully, this movie had decent production design and good music. And <laughs> uh, Tim Roth is really good, despite the film. But I just, oh no, this was not for me. <laughs> I I won't say this is a bad movie at all. I could actually see this movie appealing to a lot of people out there. And this even has a, like a 4.0 on Letterboxd. Excuse my voice. But I, I see that it only has like 521 fans. I don't know about ratings. Well, it looks like on Letterboxd, 22,000 people have seen this movie. But I found this to just... <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just found this to be kind of hokey and like I mentioned whimsical. And it just kind of too much. Too much in its ideas and not enough in its execution. It's really a... a it's really going for the epic film feel of something that you maybe would see made by Spielberg or gosh, I don't know, uh, back in the day, David Lee. It's, it's a movie that has very high levels of inspiration and search. 
assertion about itself. But sadly, I just found this to be... No, not for me. Um, (laughs) uh, When it starts out, the film has Pruitt Taylor Vince, who uh, a man who knew 1900. uh, His name is Max. He uh, has this trumpet. He goes to the store where he's going to sell the trumpet, and then he discovers this record. And he's like, you know, the man who who played on this record, he uh, he lived on this boat and he never left. And he tells the story. It's like it starts out like that. This myth, this legend. The legend of 1900. And I know I'm taking the piss out of this right now, and it's really not going to be favorable of an opinion to some people who really love this movie. But the quirkiness of it, I uh, I just did quite get into. And then there's the latter issue in the film where Tim Roth, who is very much not a young man, his character falls for a young a young woman that he sees and it feels creepy it's it's not it's not good it has not aged well and back in 1998 when this came out and also the fact that it's made by an Italian filmmaker um it just it just doesn't play well now and it probably played fine back then but I uh I'm just like not on board with this movie sadly I gave it two and a half stars I I know, I know. You're probably like, that's too low. This movie's so magical. It's so great. But I'm sorry, folks. This just was not for me. I am, I am so sorry. But no, I have to be honest about it. <laughs> I, I will remark that I saw the two-hour and seven-minute version of it. There, There is a version of the film that was released, uh, I think, on... I want to say it was released on DVD in America with the full three-hour cut, but when this was released in the United States as a, as a formal release, um, Fine Line Pictures moved it down to the two-hour cut to make it more amenable for audiences. But I I will say, above all, I do like Tim Roth, and I do like him in this movie, so regardless of what the story is trying to do and this and that, I got something out of it, which was seeing a good Tim Roth performance despite all of that. But that is what I have to say about The Legend of 1900. I hate to say it, moving on to something else better. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the 1993 film directed by Reddy Harlan called Cliffhanger, The Height of Adventure. A year after losing his friend in a tragic 4,000-foot fall, former ranger Gabe Walker and his partner Hal are called to return to the same peak to rescue a group of stranded climbers, only to learn the climbers are actually thieving jackers looking for boxes full of money. (laughs) Okay, so I have... I had heard so much about this movie as a kid and had never seen it. Fast forward to now, uh, had a DVD copy of the house and I just was like, okay, this is the time we're going to watch cliffhanger. <laughs> um, and it's fun. The, the movie has like stellar photography of the mountain ranges where they filmed this. They actually didn't even film it in the Colorado Rockies. They filmed it in Italy and the Alps. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really incredible looking as far as that stuff, the close up stuff where we're getting more character action and a little bit more intrigue, not, not as amazing for photography. It's it's shot like a 90s film should have been shot. And it's the way I wish movies were shot today, where they do so much as far as the landscaping. And then they don't cheap it by trying to film green screen like movies do today. No, no, no. They filmed on top, on top of Mountain Rages, and a lot of shots look really, really great. You can tell the actors are cold. It's up there. It's it's the way movies should be made. And 
there's a lot of shots in this movie that I think are fantastic. And I, uh, I appreciate the craft of Ready Harland and Cliffhanger. Is this a great movie? No, but it is an entertaining movie. And I, uh, I was really, really surprised by how much this movie like wanted to have a story. It didn't necessarily have to do that. This could have been just a quick 90 minute film, but it wants to take the time to give you the intrigue of things going on and how we get up the mountain because Sylvester Stallone, Sylvester Stallone is, is an actor. He is leading this film and he has the help of Michael Rooker and Janine Turner. Janine Turner and Sylvester Stallone are on the chase to find Michael Rooker once they realize that the people making a distress call are in fact not good people. Uh, I don't want to spoil Cliffhanger because I want to tell you to go watch Cliffhanger if you have not seen it. Uh, it is available on Tubi, Hulu, and Canopy allegedly right now uh, for streaming services. So Tubi is free commercials yes but it is a good time a good film to watch uh i uh, i recommend cliffhanger uh like not a five-star movie i gave it three stars because it's extremely good at what it's doing but it could have been a masterpiece but who would make it a masterpiece not ready harlan but for ready harlan i i almost want to say this is his best movie i i kind of do uh i saw the movie he made in the late 80s or maybe 1990 called Prison, which was a really good mystical, uh, spiritual uh, horror film, which you've probably never heard of. But I would recommend that as well as Cliffhanger. And Reddy Harlan did one of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. His career has kind of gone by wayside in some respects. And that's what happens when you make action movies. You make good action movies and maybe you don't later. But Cliffhanger, three stars for me. I recommend it. It's fun. You might recognize from the opening scene that this was extremely ripped off in the movie, if you remember, Vertical Limit. <laughs> but um, Vertical Limit's not as good as Cliffhanger. That's about climbing mountains. This is about rescue and the, the heist work. But uh, I should also mention John Lithgow is this film as the bad guy and he is a terrorist and he's uh, criminal and <laughs> it's fun. I, I, I recommend Cliffhanger. And that is the end of the episode. Those are the movies I have seen up to 4,998 films watched. And the next episode will be the season finale of Cinema 5000. And I thank you so much for listening and getting this far with me. And one more to go of that season, but the podcast will continue in season two and beyond from there. So again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Mallory. Follow along on Twitter. The Twitter handle is Cinema5K. Also on Instagram, Cinema5K. Follow along there in case anything happens to Twitter in the future. <laughs> uh, my name is Mallory. Again, I say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.